You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric. Hi, this is Josh Mead, and I am here today with Matt Jones. I'm really excited about this interview. This month, we've been talking about uh, family and ministry and balancing the two ministries, uh, your responsibilities, whether you're a missionary or pastor or, or a father of, of with any occupation, uh, we have a role to play. And especially for missionaries, there's a unique there are unique challenges to balancing family and ministry life while living on the mission field and all the challenges that come with it. I asked a question recently online on a couple groups I'm in about uh, MK life, missionary kid life, and someone sent me a message and said, Josh, you need to get in touch with Matt Jones, and he has some unique ministries with missionary kids, and he'll have a great perspective on uh, on working with missionary kids. And so we're going to get to that. That. But Matt, uh, we want you to introduce yourself, let us know who you are, uh, tell us about your family and where you're serving. All right. Thanks so much, Josh. This is really cool. I love what you guys are doing here. Just recently been making myself familiar with your uh, podcast and all that's going on there and checking out some older episodes and so forth on YouTube. So I appreciate so much giving me the opportunity. I don't uh, whoever gave you that information, I hope it's not too disappointing here that what yeah, I have yeah. to say is too, too dull and drop your readership down to like three people or something. But <laughs> no. um, we're my wife and I, we've been married now for 22 years. We've been in Thailand for the last 15 years. Uh, next month will be 15 years for us. And uh, we've got four kids. We have two daughters who are graduated and out of the house. They're back in Christian College in South Carolina. And then we have two sons who are still here with us. They're uh, ages 17 and 14. So we're right in the thick of watching kids um, launch out into the real world. At the same time, trying, you know, that was our daughters who kind of fortunately developed a good bit quicker than, than the boys maybe. So now we're trying, you know, now we're trying to like shore up the, the edges of what's going on in the boys' lives as they get ready for their transitions as well in the years to come. So thankful for that. We're in a rural northeastern corner of Thailand. We're way off the beaten path. We uh, we came here to join some uh, church planning family that had been here since the 80s. They were here uh, until 2011. We, we came and joined them purposefully to uh, work with a little church that they were involved with in, in the capital city of Seren, uh, Seren Baptist Church. And so we joined them there. And for about three years, worked alongside that family till they retired and went back to the States. And then we uh, took on the responsibility there of leading in that, that group. And it's just some great, great folks, uh, really well-grounded believers, something that's just virtually uh, unheard of here in, in Thailand. And so we, we, we continued on that ministry, but the Lord had given us a, a burden for many, many years, really all the way back through high school to be involved in, in missions and church planning and so forth. And my heart was just, I love the folks there in that little church. And I was just burdened to get out and do something in church planning uh, outside of just, you know, leading a, a local church and, and on the mission field. And so the Lord in his graciousness brought to us a Thai pastor in 2013 or 2014. And so we kind of worked together for about a year to see if it would be a good fit. Uh, anybody familiar with Thai ministry, which I don't know uh, how many people will be familiar with Thai ministry, but we have 
more frequent Sasquatch sightings than we do Thai pastor sightings. All right, because they're just they're few and far between. There are not many uh, men in in anywhere close to starting ministry or going into ministry here in Thailand. So. When that man uh, came along, it was just a really good fit for him and for us. And so we began to pray about, you know, him coming. And then the church uh, decided to call him as their pastor. And so during that time, we asked him, we said, hey, listen, we, we, we are now your assistants and whatever you want us to do, we'll do. And we are very much in, in line with, with what you're going to do here. We're going to support you uh, with, our, with our prayers, with our, with our presence. But I said, I, I kind of have a desire to not spend the rest of my life here. And I feel like it's kind of redundant having me and you here. And I said, what do you think we ought to do? And he said, well, why don't we work together for a year or two, which encompassed one of our furloughs as well. He said, let's work together for a year or two. And then uh, as, as when you get back in, in 2016, this was in 2014, he said, we will you know, have you be our missionary from our church. So you will be the missionary sent out from the Thai church or the Thai led church, uh, Thai pastor. And so that was really cool. So in 2016, we got back to the field. We've been surveying uh, provincial capitals to the west and east of our province. But there was this one little podunk middle of nowhere blip on the maps town about half an hour, 40 minutes south of the place we'd been working. And there was one Christian lady down here in this town who was Thai, and she worked with a, an American lady in her 70s. These two ladies had created, they had crafted their own storytelling curriculum to go out and do evangelistic storytelling in the villages. It was really cool. But they weren't trying to start a church. They were just trying to share the gospel. And they'd done that for years years and years and years with, with very, very little fruit from it. And so they were like, hey, if you're leaving Seren, you really ought to consider coming down here. And I'm like, oh, man, this is like going back in time, you know, because to go to a provincial capital, I can find Starbucks in one of those provincial capitals. I can find McDonald's in one of them. And I'm like, this, this little district town you're talking about is about to get their first grocery store, and they have one red light, you know, whether the, anybody – uh, observes the red and green is another story, but they have one red. Line. So it was like, man, it's like going back in time. This is going to be a whole lot harder on me and my family. But as we prayed about it, we're like, oh, we can't get away from it. We've got to go to that town. And, uh, and, and we started here in 2016 alongside that Thai lady and that American lady, that American lady retired about a year later, okay. but um, we started meeting at homes. We were just in that lady's home and just started talking about, Hey, we're going to start this church and people were invited and eventually came and we were very um you know as far as missiologically we were very decentralized we started sitting in circles on the floor and eating fruit together afterwards you know just really basic and uh man it grew from there and the people who were interested continued to come and uh within i don't know three or four years we've had probably four or five six people saved and 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 follow the word in baptism and uh, then two or three others from uh, that were looking for a church uh, has showed up. And so now on any given Sunday, we'll have, you know, six to 10, 12 believers, plus my family, uh, a couple Filipino teachers, a Brazilian guy, another American guy with his Thai wife. So very international ministry in this little rinky-dink town that we yeah. live in. But we've been here now since uh, 2016 doing that. And so we we just love it. We really, really enjoy it. Church planning is our, our, our heart. It's our bread and butter. It's what we're here for. It's what we do. 
Um, and then the MK ministry we're going to talk about is really the the icing on the cake. You know, the cake is pretty good by itself, but man, you get the right thing. It's 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 just un, unstoppable. That's awesome. Boy, hearing you explain kind of your process and how God has been leading you in the church planning effort over there sounds so very similar to what we're doing over here in Senegal. Like similar in Thailand, here in Senegal, to find a Senegalese pastor who is Wolof, which is one of the predominant ethnicities here, it's almost impossible. And God is blessed. We we Same thing as what you were saying. We kind of went through that same process. And I actually... When I did our episode on um, how we approached church planting here in Senegal, uh, a missionary from Thailand reached out. I don't have his name written down right now. It was a while back. But he reached out and said, man, it sounds just like uh, the challenges and obstacles that are here in church planting. And and there really are. A lot, different countries have a lot of different challenges, but some countries seem to have all of them wrapped up into one, you know, and so, uh, it's exciting to hear, hear how the Lord is using you and, uh, in church planting there in Thailand. Of course, we're on today to primarily focus on your work with missionary kids. And, uh, as you said, obviously your primary work is in church planting, but sometimes God will open another door and allow you to, uh, minister in some other areas. And so you, from what I've gathered, and I've, I've kind of done a little research on what you're doing, you you seem to work a little bit extensively with missionary kids, and it began there in Thailand. Give us a, just a brief summary of what you do, and tell us a little bit about how these ministries uh, came to develop. All right. Let me... Brief is a very subjective word, all right? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> take, take as much time as you want, but we're going to get into more questions. But yeah, we got all the time, all right. though, so... My my days when I was in seminary in Kansas City, I was introduced to a little Christian camp in, in Kansas that was looking for some part-time work. And I said, hey, I would I would do that. And I went over and began working part-time at a camp. Within a year or so, the director resigned. And after a few months of uh, them looking for another director, they were like, hey, we, we just want you to be the director. And I was like, what, what? I'm like, I'm trying to raise my first child. We're trying to work and still whatever. But I, I had, I had worked at a, at a summer camp called the Wiles Christian camp in, in Brevard, North Carolina one summer. Uh, we didn't go to, didn't grow up going there, but I was very familiar with their philosophy. And so we began to work heavily in that camp ministry in Kansas saying, well, I guess this is where the Lord wants us. You know, we, my wife and I are both missions majors. We had majored in Christian missions. We had uh, pursued seminary thinking, you know, we're going the mission field and then here came camp. So for us, um, we, we thought that's where we'd be. And then the Lord began to tug at our hearts in the early 2004 about the needs here in Thailand. We have relatives, um, my sister and brother-in-law are in Cambodia. They've been there for 21 or two years now. And we had visited here and we're like, you know, we should, we should look into the Southeast Asia. And they told us about some folks looking for coworkers. So we surrendered to come to Thailand and assumed that that little blip, that little parenthetical camp blip had just kind of come and gone. And that was all there was to it. It was just a way to work through seminary. And that was fine with us as well. But we we got here and it was a few years into the ministry um, that somebody said, hey, why don't you think about doing a, a camp for missionary kids? You know, you've worked at camp stuff before. Why don't you do just a, a camp? And I was like, mm, yeah, maybe. Uh, so we, we thought about it for a while. I was trying to see if maybe somebody else would want to run with it because I didn't necessarily <laughs> want to add 
nothing else to my plate at the time. Uh, so I said, all right, well, that's fine. Let's, let's, we got back from a furlough in uh, early 2016 and we started, you know, doing the groundwork, finding a little resort here in Thailand, which that's the fortunate thing about Thailand is we have about 20 million resorts because <laughs> right. there's so many tourists here. So they're easy to find places. And we found a great place and we said, Hey, we're doing this thing. It's going to be in May of that year. And, you know, we had about three dozen kids came and it was okay. like, Oh, this is cool. Well, we could not have foreseen just, just the overall effect of what happened in that first year of camp. I mean, it was instantly like, you had three dozen kids who were spread about, spread about, they were spread everywhere from Cambodia, uh, Myanmar, Thailand. I think we ended up, ended up having one kid from India come, but yeah. they didn't, they hardly knew each other. But within like three days of being together, they're all best friends. I mean, they're like, yeah. you know, they know those life stories. They are deeply invested in each other's lives. They figured out how to stay in touch with each other on social media if they had it. And we're like, okay, that's cool. Well, I mean, literally within two years, we had maxed out this, this facility with about 70 MKs. We had 30 or 40 uh, parents, adults, sponsors, op staff, you know, people who'd come and help us do games and right. stuff. Like it just, it just blew up and we were turning families away from, you know, by 2019, it was, it was more kids than we could, we could really handle. We were having to think of how we're going to do, do a second week or something, but it was just amazing. And so, uh, the the thing was like okay whatever it's just camp you know you just assume right. you don't you don't know why this is happening the way it's happening but also in 2016 I heard about and started an online uh, doctoral program through Maranatha Baptist University up in Wisconsin right and so I'm working through the process there of that school the classes and stuff you know camp is going on it's 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 growing and getting bigger and it's becoming this bigger organism. And we have, um, you know, we could talk about a lot about how the structure of that came about and how we had so many families vested in that. They were just, they were all putting in time and effort. And so it really, I mean, we had people from the far right to the far left of, of Christianity here in Thailand who would set aside their differences for that week of camp and and send their kids and, and be involved. And that was huge. But during that time when I started that doctoral program, you know, because it was a DMN, it was like, all right, we want at the end of the program, you don't write a theoretical research paper. You you do a project that's a, a thesis project that says, here's a ministry thing you do. You go do it. You execute it. You tell us why it's needed in the first few chapters. Then you go do it and wait a few months and then tell us, you know, come back and report on how it went. And so I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to this is the point in time when I'm going to invest in finding out why this MK camp has become this just, I mean, people were scheduling furloughs around it. Oh, you know, wow. kids are telling their mom, you know, like, Hey, I'm not sure anymore. Christmas is still number one, but my birthday is now number three. MK camp is number two <laughs> on my list of, of things that are, you know, have people, we would have these little rubber bracelets. We'd give the kids that said, you know, Southeast Asia MK camp. And one mom's like, my kid's not taking it off in three years now. Or, you know, it's like just <laughs> crazy stuff. So we're like, all right, let's let's commit to figuring out why this is the way it is. Let's let's invest time in in a formal setting, in a semi-research setting, and figure it out. And that's when I, you know, basically went out and tried to acquire every piece of literature I could related to the third culture kid topic and, and missionary care and so forth. And, and ultimately there was a lot that came of that, you know, so we, in, in that camp setting, you had, they wouldn't let me just do uh, an explanation of what we were already doing. We had to go and do a camp. 
And so what happened was we uh, partnered with the Wilds or specifically Camps Abroad, their missions department or whatever. Um, and we contacted some guys down in Lima. We talked to some guys in Tanzania. We talked to guys all over the place, just trying to find a good fit and ended up going to a little, uh, to with a couple of guys right outside of Lima, Peru to start the South America MK camp in 2019. And those guys had the exact same experience. Within a couple of years, they're like maxed out. They're turning people away. Even through COVID, they're keep, you know, they, they kept on having the camp. They just had it two weeks ago. And so we were like, wow, this is so cool. But it was through that that this, this body of knowledge began to accumulate for me because I'm reading and reading and reading, uh, just trying to understand all the things that many, many people out there in the world beyond uh, my little world of Christianity already understand. They already get a big picture. They already know this phenomenon of the third kid world. Uh, so for me, it was I'm kind of, you know, coming late to the party. But what that was what was so cool about it was that we were able to, you know, establish our camp, help the the guys in Peru to start a camp. We have for the last two years, we've had on the calendar a, a scheduled trip for South America. I'm sorry, for South Africa, a camp there that keeps getting pushed off for obvious reasons. But Lord willing, that's going to grow the Wilds Christian Camp uh, held their first ever on site camp for missionary kids this past summer. I think we had 49 or 50 kids there. Uh, I got to speak for that for the morning chapels, which is like, you know, the climax of my career. I will descend <laughs> and go yeah, off yeah. into the West and be unknown. And that's totally fine. A little Lord of the Rings reference there for anybody. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, it was just crazy. It was just so cool. We've we've also uh, kicked off a uh, reentry seminar here in Thailand for kids around Southeast Asia, where we take them for a couple of days and just try to offload a huge amount of information in a short time for them and parents to explain some of the things that are likely to happen in the year of leading up to a return to their passport country and then the two or three years after they get back. Um, what else? Oh, more recently, last year, we started a twice a month MK, we call it the Southeast Asia MK community Zoom call. So okay. we basically do an online uh, Zoom group. We have kids in Cambodia, Thailand, Taiwan, uh, and Hong Kong that that Zoom that come in every you know twice a month. We get together on Thursday nights, seven to eight thirty, and we have uh, we we really focus our whole attention around that the theme of Luke two fifty two that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, favor with God and favor with men. So he grew uh, not just spiritually, but he grew socially as well, favor with men. And so we try to give these kids a way to interact with each other. We have games, we have, we have a Bible study, and then we do some very specific discussions about MK, the MK experience is what I call it. And so that's something that's been going on over the last few months. And really that that's just, it's just been really cool. So it's been a neat thing to be part of. So um, that's, that's what's going on right now. And, and in, um, in our immediate life right now, you know, besides our, our church work and raising our kids and our family and so forth. No, that's amazing. I, I love hearing just any ministry developing for and helping MKs uh, to see how this has bloomed and, and developed into something big and uh, how God is using it. Camp is uh, plays such an important role in the lives of young people in the States. <clears throat> Sorry. That, um, 
you know, it's something that a lot of times I, I feel bad, like for my kids, especially as they're reaching teenage years, like, man, they're missing out on that. We send them off to camp when we are on furlough, but that's every two, three years uh, that we're back. And my wife grew up in Nova Scotia, a small fishing community of a hundred people where maybe, you know, 60% were her family. And so there are very few Christians around her and the highlight of her life <laughs> And growing up was going to a camp called Forest Glen Bible Camp. And uh, she just, she loved it. And it was just, that was her world. And every year was just waiting for the next year to get back to camp. And part of that was due to just kind of being isolated in her little community where she was. Is that what you find with missionary kids? Talk a little bit about kind of the challenges that missionary kids face with isolation. And do, do missionary kids have a heart because one of the questions I'm going to ask is what are some of the big challenges? I would imagine being isolated is one of them, but do do they have a hard time missionary kids specifically expressing that, that loneliness and isolation and how did camp play a role in, in helping with that challenge? Gotcha. Yeah. I was thinking through earlier, some of the top, you know, difficulties or challenges of, of growing up as an MK. And really, I just, I came up with three that I thought of. And, and yeah. the second one is that concept of being isolated. Um, isolation really is like the doorstep to discouragement, depression, and, and a really bad, dark place. And I think most of the world has seen that through the lockdowns yeah. and quarantines yeah. over the last couple of years. And it's really brought that to light. The, the, the hopefully as, as it continues to come to light and see how dangerous isolation is, it'll point out how most of our MKs are living that day in and day out. You know, there's very remote corners of the world where our MKs are living. And, you know, by virtue of, of you know, what we do and where we do it, our kids, they grow up between worlds. They grow up, um, you know, not having total ownership in any one place. We talk about how it is truly an awesome and amazing experience for kids to like, my, you know, they learn languages, they, they, they shop at open air markets, they, they travel internationally, they can speak intelligently about the quality of airline food on Eva air versus, you know, Korean air or whatever, you know, they, they, they've got all these things down pat. They've been places they've, they've, they've had pet monkeys. They've, you know, rode elephants or ridden elephants, you know, it's like they've, they've done this stuff. But what they are often lacking are the social interactions, the things that come from sitting in a classroom of peers or uh, attending a church youth group for years at a time or being on a sports team, those sorts of things. So that isolation is a really uh, significant concern, I think. And it creates really, I think the hardest part of that isolation is that a kid grows up being very uh, contented or at least partially contented with being isolated. And so what happens mm. is you get kids that run into young adulthood. And we have this phenomenon that you'll come across, you'll, you'll see it called different things, but they call it being a hidden immigrant. And, and basically the idea is that, you know, if you, if, if you're in Senegal, if you're anywhere in Africa or Asia, uh, you know, you're my, my family will never be mistaken for a Thai person. You know, like uh, my kids will never be mistaken for Thais. I, I often joke and tell people that because we're on the Cambodian border and they look at me and I'm way bigger than everybody, like way bigger. And, and they look at me like, oh, you're a foreigner. I'm like, yes, I'm an albino Cambodian. And they're like, oh, oh, wait, no, you're, no, you're not. Uh, so it's kind of a little joke. But like, you know, we don't ever get mistaken as Thai people because of our size and so forth. Well, 
there's certain grace that is that is given to people that you clearly know they don't belong in that society or they're not, you know, natives to that society. They give me grace to speak poorly, uh, to maybe right. do something that offensive that uh, wouldn't be okay, you know, if I were a Thai person to do. But what happens is when our MK kids grow up, our missionary kids grow up, they go back to the States and suddenly they don't look different. They look just like every other foreign kid. I, I'm, you know, using America as a, as a starting point. We'd say our passport country, but back in America, my kids are expected to know the language and customs right. and culture and traditions of America that like your wife in Canada uh, grew up very monocultural. Everybody in that hundred person group had similar expectations and similar thoughts and similar, you know, standards for what was okay and not okay. Well, when your missionary kids have grown up in a completely foreign environment and have spent most of their formative and important developmental years overseas, when they go back and try to incorporate themselves into life in the States, they become a hidden immigrant where they look like they should understand everything. They they look like they ought to know all the high school football terms and all the the, the trendy pop culture shows and so forth. Uh, they ought to know how to pump gas and use, you know, Apple Pay and stuff like that. But in reality, they are, you know, largely depending on the kid and how where they've grown up, but they could be very lost right. in, in figuring out what to do. So they basically float through life isolated, even when they get back to their passport country. So they've been isolated on the field because of differences in language and, 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 and lack of opportunity to interact with people of the same passport country. Not that they're not interacting with people on the field or other, other you know, national people on the field, but there is a sense in which they are expected to uh, go back to the States when they hit you know, young adulthood. And suddenly they're like, wow, I don't, I don't really fit in here. And that's, that's a tough one. That isolation can carry through and I think it takes a lot of MKs by surprise hmm. that they find out that when they're, you know, 18, 19, and they're starting college and they, they find out just how little they understand, um, just how little people are, are you know, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of uh, the bigger picture, you know, when, when my kids grown up, every moment of their lives, basically, my kids were two, four and six when they got here. Our youngest was uh, born in Thailand, and so we we basically joke and say he's made in Thailand, kind of like our, our clothing that we wear or whatever, you know. So he's all the kids have grown up here, so this is what they know. And so as they go through that whole growing up years, and they're trying to figure out where they belong in life. It's it, it gets to be very confusing for them when they hit, hit young adulthood because we raise support in the states. People are like, oh, you're missionaries. Oh, you're going to the mission field. That's going to be awesome. We travel in our car. You know, that's not normal. We're, we're you know, living out of our car, raising support. That's not what other kids do. They're reminded at every moment from that point all the way through getting to the field and being the foreigner, then going back to furlough and visiting the churches and being the missionary kid, and then back to the field and then moves on the field. And so all these, all these points of life, my point is through 17, 18 years of life, they're reminded all the time, hey, you're a missionary kid. You're a missionary kid. You're a missionary kid. That's your identity. And that's kind of one of the other, that's the third, really the third uh, challenge is this lack of identity. Because when you hit 18, 
If you go back to the States for college, which that's what makes a, a third culture kid different than an immigrant is that, you know, there's an expectation that because of legal uh, visas, you, you know, needing an education to maintain a visa or work or, or college, you know, to go uh, meet a spouse, whatever. Well, most of the time it's expected when a missionary kid graduates from high school, he, he or she is going to go back to their, their passport country right. for at least a period of time. Well, that, that is, that is very disconcerting for a lot of them. And so suddenly they find out they're back on the, the passport country and suddenly nobody really cares that you were a missionary kid. They're not here to give you a love offering. They're not here to, you know, have missionary Christmas in July and give you a present because you're a missionary kid. You know what I mean? So suddenly it's like, now I'm not only the object of, of people's attention in a positive way, the missionary kid can be the guy who kind of, he's kind of quirky. You know what I mean? Right, his, right. his fashion sense is still not uh, up with the current trends and so forth. And so you stand out. You're, if you've been in Asia, your concept of personal space is very different than your concept in the West. You know, we, we don't have personal space here. You know what I mean? You know, you stand on a, on a train in Bangkok and you're face to face with random strangers and right. You know, it's just the way it goes. So um, yeah, those challenges are very, very real. But definitely, uh, you know, to get, you know, kind of jumping maybe ahead of your question, just the, the concept of isolation, man, it's painful. Um, the, the being misunderstood, I think that kind of ties into what I was saying a little bit, but mm -hmm. uh, I've got a book that uh, is probably one of the best resources that I could offer. Yeah. Um, I don't know, am I allowed to hold a book up here? Can I of course. Yeah, yeah. So this book is called Misunderstood. Okay. Uh, the, the Impact of Growing Up Overseas in the 21st Century by Tanya Crossman. Uh, Tanya is a fabulous author and her, her work is very much geared toward research. Okay. She's an Australian, married to an American guy, has taught and worked with TCKs in China for most of her adult life. Uh, she's, she's great. She's just, this book is super. She interviewed about 12 to 1300 third culture kids. Okay. And I, I kind of regret we didn't, I didn't start early kind of talking about what, a, how to define a third culture kid, but um, she interviewed about 12 to 1300 third culture kids and summarized at the end of all that massive amount of information that 67% said that they would, they would wholeheartedly agree with the fact that they feel completely misunderstood hmm. back in their passport country, like 70, basically almost seven out of 10 of those third culture kids who grew up overseas would say, I, I know I am misunderstood back in my passport country. People just don't understand uh, what, what I'm doing or where I've been and so forth, you know, and that's, that's just, that's part of what we right. will uh, interact with as, as missionary parents. There is no way around that, but I sometimes think the shock and lack of awareness that that's to be expected takes a lot of kids by surprise, a lot of parents by surprise. And when that impact and that and thinking of a kid in college or whatever, or upper high school, when they start to realize, hey, I'm not understood. I don't fit in here. I don't identify with this American youth group, church group. I, I don't agree with what the way it doesn't look like, you know, there's no goats or chickens walking around in <laughs> church. People are wearing shoes. They're wearing coats and ties. It's like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't identify with that. And so what can happen is, um, MKs can lose their, 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 their sense of the big picture and basically say, well, if that's what my future as a Christian looks like, 
I don't, I don't want that. I'm not going to do that. Um, and that, and I mean, I think we would all, there's, there's not a one of us who's spent much time around uh, missionaries who doesn't know, you know, missionary kids who have, who have really, you know, gone through a, a casualty of, of their faith. You know, they've really uh, either practically or, or spiritually, they have just come apart. And so I think that being misunderstood is a big part of that. And, and, you know, we start to weigh that, um, you know, the cause and so forth into that. I think it starts for us as parents, just acknowledging that the, the deeper we are immersed in the culture, the, the longer it's going to take for our kids to kind of surface from that deep immersion right. and get into Western culture, if that makes sense. Like, oh, yeah. like there are people who probably live in London. Uh, our friends in Bangkok live a much less immersed life. Some of them kind of have the, you know, you leave your, your home, that's your safe place where you've got, you know, Yankee candles and I'm not dogging Yankee candles. I love it, but you've got all the, the trappings of an American home and you walk out of that and you go out into a ministry for a Sunday and then you come back to your safe spot versus, you know, I know people in Cambodia who are like, no, we don't believe in refrigeration because it makes our electric bill so high. And if we have a high electric bill then the people around us won't want to know the gospel because they think we're rich. And I'm like, so there's there's these vast differences in opinion. And all, all I'm saying is the, the deeper we as missionary families are immersed into a culture that does not look like the passport culture that we come from, right. the more time it's going to take for our kids to reacclimate to living in that world. Um, and that's that that's just a thing that we got to kind of be aware of and think through ourselves. So uh, that that's that's kind of some of the big problems I've been thinking through. Yeah. And these are, you know, everything you're speaking to is it's part of the nature of the beast. It's just part of the way, you know, it's not things that are going to be avoided. They're, they're part of the process of being a missionary. Um, I remember speaking with a missionary kid. She, she grew up here in Senegal and uh, moved back to the States, made the transition back and uh, she's doing great. She began teaching, I think it was sixth or seventh graders in a Christian school. And we were talking about it one day and she said, you know, she said, what I noticed is I, I don't connect on a cultural level with these students, which a lot of older people don't connect with younger people with culture. Anyways, it's moving so rapidly, but there was just a total disconnect. She was only in her twenties, you know, and these kids aren't that far away. She said, I don't understand a lot of the cultural references, but she said, one thing I noticed was when it came to common sense, like I had that beyond what any of those kids had. It just seemed like there were areas in which obviously missionary kids are going to excel in. What are some ways that you and your research uh, with your work with MKs, and obviously you mentioned there's going to be a broad spectrum of parents who are deeper into culture, more immersed, some who aren't as immersed. And uh, I would say we're in a culture where we're, we're really immersed in the culture but at the same time, our home is very Americanized. In fact, a new family that just moved here with another mission agency, when we had them over uh, for the first time, their kids are like, thank you for having us to your American home, you know, because we designed it specifically to feel like you're, you're you know, home away from home. But all that being said is a lot of times first generation missionaries like myself, I think you're a first generation missionary. We, if we don't begin to do the research into what our kids are going to face, we don't know how to intentionally address those things. Right. Um, 
these challenges arise. And then by the time we analyze it, it, it's almost too late. So can you speak to, in your, your interaction with MKs, your observation of missionary parents, uh, what you've seen work and not work? What are some ways that a missionary parent, let's speak to the missionary, first generation missionary, how can they best prepare their kids for transition back to the States to deal with these challenges that won't go away, but so that they're better set to, to face them? Gotcha. Yeah, that's a super question because obviously there's not a uh, a quick checklist of four or five things to right. do. It's it's really some you know sums up to be a, a a philosophy of life where it starts with mom and dad um, humbly accepting that we need help. And I think that's a hard thing. I think that's probably the more tragic thing for me is to run into a family that they're like, yeah, all we got to do is just raise our kids like my parents raised me, and my kids will be fine, and they will inadvertently or almost advertently, they would just kind of sweep away all of the intricacies of the MK experience and really kind of just say, well, that's, that's sociology, that's psychology. You know, there's no, it really doesn't even, it's not even a real thing that, that MKs would struggle with high mobility or transitions or grief and loss. And, and, the, and they don't want to really acknowledge that this is going to happen for their kids. Um, so I think the first thing is just that humility that drives us to say, man, I need to find some answers. I need to find some, some things, but you know, first generation missionaries, what are we thinking about? We're thinking about how to get support, right. how to write parameters, how to, how to start a church, how to, how to, how to stop fighting with our coworkers, you know, <laughs> like we're, we're trying to figure out all the basics, you know, how do I learn to do church and not, you know, do this and that, how do I, yeah, yeah. you know, there's a thousand things we're working on that typically it's, it's like if our kids aren't melting down and, and having like full on, you know, a breakdown, we're kind of like, eh, they'll be all right. You know what I mean? And so we just, as long as they're quiet and sitting off on the side and playing in the dirt, they'll be fine. You know? And so, that that is unfortunately the the norm for us so i think that part of it is going to be the need to have our our supporting and sending organizations need to be familiar with this challenge i think that our sending churches man i i, I think you could spend a year just traveling to churches and saying hey let me tell you what it's like for missionary kids uh and how to how you can better interact with missionary kids when they come back that sort of thing would be a, a great place to start because Really, it's got to come down to us gaining the knowledge and the wisdom to be able to put into practice what what's already largely known in the third culture kid world. And for me, that's always been one of the things that I've said is the is the great uh, like it's the third culture kid authors that I know, like Tanya Crossman and, uh, you know, even David Pollack, who wrote really the foundational cornerstone book, he and Ruth Van Rieken, and now the third edition with uh, David's son, Michael, because David passed away several years ago of cancer. They, there's just great stuff out there. Those And many of those folks are, are have a very Christian worldview. They're genuine believers. But because the third culture kid spectrum includes uh, embassy workers and overseas right. teachers and military kids, anybody who's transplanted out of their parents' passport country for any time during their formative years, those are third culture kids. So mm -hmm. what happens is the authors who are writing are writing to the big, broad group of people. Right. And that that will limit you from being able to say, well, let me tell you what Peter says to the dispersed believers 
in First Peter who were driven away from their, their culture and customs and languages and tradition, the people they knew because of their faith. Let me tell you about mobility. Look at, look at Abraham. Look at what the nomadic forefathers of our faith did. And let's talk about scriptural principles that apply to us as, as missionary families and as MKs. So I think that's that's the starting point. I think that's the kind of information that we as missionary families need, uh, especially first-generation folks, um, but a lack of awareness of the whole MK experience. I mean, I think that for me, it's just getting used to the fact that I say and think, I mean, and I'm going to say it and think it for the rest of my life. And I just, the phrase, I wish I would have known that when my kids were little. You know, just get used to saying that. I wish I'd have known that when my kids were little. I wish I would have known. So for us, we kind of came in right as, you know, to understanding some of these things and figuring out how to use them uh, just as our oldest daughter was getting ready for college. Uh, so she and my, now my second daughter have been, she's my oldest daughter's a junior. My second daughter's a sophomore. They're doing well, but they will, they will tell you that it is a, it is a trough, a trough, a tough, uh, uh, <laughs> path where you are you are you are you are working through very very thick ground to try to get back into life in the states no matter how intentional you are so i think that reading is a big part i think that um understanding this is again i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself but understanding what grief and loss does and what it looks like mm -hmm. understanding what unresolved grief is understanding you know we've there's there's a new i say new it's not really that new what there's nothing new um ptsd is well known all right post-traumatic right. stress but there's a new thing that they call complex or c ptsd which is yeah. basically if complex or, or ptsd is a massive exposure to some big traumatic event mm -hmm. whereas complex ptsd is just a incredibly high volume of exposure to low or little t trauma hmm. and that is really in definition of what mks go through from leaving grandma again and leaving your cousins again to making friends to leaving your dog behind on the field to uh seeing friends move away to going away from your family go back to college it's just a life full by virtue of what we do it's a life full of small t trauma that builds up. And when kids aren't familiar with that, parents aren't familiar with that, you see your kid like, oh, my kid's just, she's just quiet. No, she's just angry or he's just, you know, this, that, or the other. And then you start to realize, you know what, this kid's probably got a high level of, of things in their, in their heart that they've not been able to talk about and process and be relieved of. And man, understanding that is, is really a key to helping them. And I think that comes from whether you understand the MK experience or not, or you're familiar with this MK topic, it comes from good open communication with, with parents and parents who are willing to say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, but tell me what's going on. You know, talk to me, kid, tell me about life. Tell me how you feeling. And when they say life is hard or it's, I miss this person, you know, it's, it's, it's so easy for us to, you know, minimalize their, their grief and their challenges. And we say, Oh, well, you know, we're, we're doing this for Jesus. You know what I mean? This is, yeah. we're doing this because we love the Lord. And in essence, what we do inadvertently is turn around and say to our kids, the source of your struggles and your, your challenges, your heartache, your, your frustration is, is ultimately the Lord because he's the one who's put you in this position. And you can either accept that and love that or, you know, a kid in a, in a young kid's mind is to say, well, okay, if that's the way it's got to be, or they'll say, well, why would I want that 
in my life? Why would I want that kind of faith in my life if this is the source of my struggle? Yeah. So being willing to have parents who can just openly communicate, say, hey, I, I think it stinks too. I really miss grandma at Christmas too. I really wish we could spend Thanksgiving together with friends here. You know, that sort of thing just really does speak volumes to a, a young MK, even if you don't know what you're doing or what we're saying, it really is helpful to have that kind of communication. Uh, obviously having familiarity with the information of what they're going through helps you to guide the conversation, but it doesn't mean you've got to go read 10 books before you can raise your kids effectively. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So just communicating is a big deal. Absolutely. That's, that's one of the things we've really been emphasizing as we're talking about family life and ministry life. And that's kind of a common theme I saw when I was on deputation. I would pose the question to any MK I met at a Bible college. If we were presenting there, I would ask them, you know, you're in Bible college and, and you seem to, you know, you, you're expressing a love for the Lord and even a desire to go into ministry. And so what are some things your family did that, that, help to cultivate this spirit so that you didn't become resentful because I've seen, I've read too much and I've heard too many interviews of either, even preacher kids or MKs who've left, like you said earlier, they're just like, if this is Christianity, I don't want to be a part of it. They leave that, that, that kind of that world. And a lot of times I'll hear the same thing, either from those who are wanting to serve the Lord and just, you know, do right. They'll say, I saw a common theme where they would say, my dad always had time for me. Uh, and then I saw, a common, among other things, but then I'll see a common theme on the other end where I've heard over and over, I just felt like if I brought up my struggles to my dad, it would reflect poorly on his ministry and I didn't want to be a problem. And it's same for wives as well. Uh, when a husband, a dad creates kind of this, this awe, awe to the ministry that he's a part of his calling that almost like I, I better behave so my dad can keep his ministry and not share my struggles. Can you speak a little bit directly to fathers, you know, on the mission field and kind of how they can, you already mentioned a lot of great, you know, truths here, but specifically fathers, uh, you know, what are some ways you intentionally and a father on the mission field can be intentional in the way that he addresses these things. Because sometimes a dad doesn't even know he's created this air, you know, of, uh, I better not share my frustrations because my dad will take it personally and maybe it'll reflect poorly. Uh, speak a little more to that about how can we practically keep open communication and deal with our children's frustrations and anger outbursts and things how do you dig deeper into what they're struggling with? Yeah, that's good. That's a great question. When I'm thinking about like when we were, you know, the days when you're visiting churches in the States, it's like, you know, every, every episode of visiting a church is like a job interview. So every, you know, you give yeah. the kids a discussion, you know, you got the talk where it's like, don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. Don't do this. Do that. Sit quietly talk to every grandmother, do it like you love, you know, it's like you, you give them this, you, you install in your kids, this sense of like, it all rises and falls on your behavior. You know what I mean? Because we're thinking to ourselves, we really want to get supported and get to the field. And uh, so we, we put a lot of pressure on our kids that mm -hmm. starts at a very young age and continues through, you know, um, pushing our kids to understand culture. We don't want our kids to walk up to somebody in Asia and start rubbing their head. That would be you know, <laughs> the equivalent of like spitting on them, you know, in America, it's just, you don't do it. You don't. Right you're constantly saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. You know, so there is, 
a lot of of teaching that goes into it and we can inadvertently say hey you've got to do this and not and not build the relationship and i think that's part of it is the dads have got to have a relationship you know dads and moms are different my wife and i talk about this all the time um you know there's like with with the boys you know i just basically growl and grumble and we throw each other around and wrestle and stuff but with the girls i'm like oh would you all like to go out for coffee i will i will take you you know for for a, for a tea right now if you, you know some bubble tea let's go you know that kind of like difference in in approaching both the kids but or both the you know boys and girls but knowing what they like what they enjoy and and making it a point to be in, in interacting with their lives is is so important and i don't know i mean for every family it's going to be different Mm -hmm. but just making sure they know that at the drop of a hat at the really at the snap of a finger we we would we would abandon everything that we have here in this country and 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 go anywhere and do anything for our kids you know what i mean as far as like my kids know that you know, in the States where they are right now, if they said we have had, you know, we have a need and I need you here. We would, we would, we would do whatever it takes to go there, no matter what, you know, it put us under or what it does for our employment, because they are the top priority. And that is not easy to do. So as a dad, as a parent, as you think about moving into ways to make this practical, you know, just specifically do stuff with the kids on the field that, is is kind of like a tradition you know what i mean mm-hmm. like um we have this one goofy tradition that for probably six or seven years now i pay 200 bucks and i i i get the nfl game pass okay all right so we're 12 hours ahead of the eastern time zone so midnight sunday night every sunday night during football season uh kickoff starts at midnight. It's 1 a.m when the time changes but basically midnight or 1 a.m I will be sitting in front of the TV watching football with one or all of my kids <laughs> until they fall asleep on the couch. And so it's ridiculous. Then it got to be when we had four kids, we would, you know, the, they were all still here at home. Yeah. They would do one per week and they could get a special treat. They could get a, a Coke or whatever, you know, they wanted whatever chocolate, whatever they wanted, they got to pick. And then they would just sit there and basically all they do is sit there and watch the commercials. They don't even know what American football is all about, but <laughs> right. it was the tradition that like now, man, this season, I tried to skip it a few times. And my son was like, there was like a mutiny in the house because I <laughs> miss his week for, you know, watching football, but that sort of thing. But I think that it's at the top, it's saying nothing's more important than you kid at the bottom. It's saying, Hey, let's go out and, and, and get, you know, an iced coffee or whatever your country yeah. has on, on a regular basis, you know, and then everything in between that is what's essential. But um, I mean, for us as, you know, looking like how to help families making the move back or helping kids get back yeah. that are older. We did we did things where you know it became it became powerfully important to us. Like just like wow, we we cannot send back our kid alone. We cannot do that. Like we just we just can't. Mm-hmm. And she's the first. She's the oldest. You know, sure she's starting at a Christian college and she's got family two or three hours away we've got the internet, whatever. We tell them all these, we tell ourselves all these things, but in reality, I'm like, nope. So we went back and we scheduled our furlough for her first semester of college. So that at the very least, we're in the same general area for most of the time. We we rented a house in the town where she's in college. And we said on the week, during the week, we're going to be there as much as possible. Or, uh, you know, when the kids were younger, there was a furlough where 
Uh, I did all the furlough by myself. Uh, my kids were in fourth and fifth grade. Trevor was in kindergarten at the time. And, and I said, I'm going to, I did probably 90%, 80% of our church visits. I did alone. I would be gone for a week or two at a time, but we put our kids in a Christian school yeah. so that they could go to this tiny little Christian school in Kansas and be part of the activities there. And my wife stayed home with them and did stuff. So that was it. Then when we went back for our girls starting college, um, same thing. We we're like, man, let's just go back, rent a house. It's expensive. It's inconvenient. It's awkward. There's church stuff here that's got to be taken care of, but you'll never regret it for even a second uh, giving that extra time. You will regret it if you send them back and the wheels come off and, mm -hmm. and you're not there to help. Um, so, you know, a little bit different for our second daughter. She went back during the pandemic. So it was a little bit harder for us oh, to right, get back. Right. To her. And then there was quarantine and all the stuff going on where we couldn't get back in Thailand if we left. But finally, after that abated a little bit this past summer, really last year, in, in about April of last year, May of last year, we're like, man, our girls have been over there for our oldest couple of years through the you know pandemic by herself. And uh, our, our, we said, we're going to go back and just do a family furlough. Not We don't necessarily have sabbaticals in our little group, but it was like, we'll call it a family furlough. And hopefully nobody is going to bemoan us to family furlough. But for like four or five months, we went back and didn't do any church meetings. We just were with our kids. We were just yeah. with a family and, and just needed to rebuild that parental social capital with our kids that had been expended over the period of, you know, almost two, two and a half years of parenting on, on the telephone, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, We're yeah, parenting yeah. online and that gets really old when you're dealing with relationships or, or, you know, things like that. So uh, yeah, there's just a lot of, a lot of, a lot of priorities, you know, renting a house during furlough, those are the bigger things, but um, uh, you know, just, just communication. It goes, goes back to communication, being willing to, you know, when the kids are, you know, sad you just talk, talk to them you know and when, when you're sad talk to them. my kids have seen me uh you know come unglued many times and, and just sure and just ball like a little baby I mean, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, a big, I'm a big whip man i i get on the airplane every time we've got on the airplane that's two or three years to come back leaving kids in the states i'm just i i look like i'm having a nervous breakdown on the plane <laughs> I'm just sobbing uncontrollably yeah yeah so i'm lucky not to get you know 911 call. Or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I really appreciate this insight. I know it's going to be so helpful to uh, the missionaries listening. And I, I know it'll be great insight for uh, families who support and love missionaries. Um, you know, people in the States are aware, you know, like you said earlier, aware that missionary kids are going to be a little different. And sometimes, even though you might be aware of that, you could still be awkward around, you know, a missionary kid who doesn't quite know all the cultural norms. And so um, I, I hope that uh, people in the States, supporters, those who love missionaries, I know they love missionary kids, but just seek seek out these books that Matt has mentioned and try to learn a little better about, especially if you have a missionary you've sent out of your church, try to learn a little better about uh, kind of the challenges that the missionary kids are going through. And um, a lot of times we think of the challenges that the missionary family as a whole faces, and they do face a lot of challenges, but it's just compounded with children, I think, especially if it's uh, you know a first-generation missionary going, like you said earlier, you're dealing with so much. 
And then your kids have these other issues that you're not even aware of that you really can't relate to. And so really it's important to do this research and, and uh, I've appreciated the research you've done and the work you're doing with the camp there. I want you to go ahead and just kind of close out with uh, if there's anything else you wanted to add. And as well, I want you to tell us how we can find out more about your church planting ministry. And then as well, tell us uh, how we can learn more about the camp ministry. If there's a way that uh, any of our listeners are, are, we always joke, it's it's our moms who listen to this podcast. And so if our mom wants to uh, support the camp ministry, how do we reach out and uh, get in touch with you? That's awesome. Well, I think this stuff is so cool. And really the 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 picture, the, the, the scenario that we kind of compare the MK experience too is kind of like when you get on a flight and the and the flight attendant starts to talk about all the safety measures that you've all heard before and uh you know there's there's the exit here and follow this and your life jacket and oxygen and you're kind of like you know already on your phone playing sadaku or something you know it's like you're you've heard it all before it's not important but i guarantee that the moment your plane blows an engine and you start to lose altitude you're like where's the nearest exit? Where's that life jacket? You know, you're, you're, you're aware of it. And so that's, that's kind of the way the MK thing is. It's like, we're not really considering that it's a, a, a big problem until it is. Right. And I'm just hopeful that folks will, you know, pull the information out and start to look and start to read and get familiar with what's going on. This one thing that I have here, I hadn't mentioned before, um, this is this is something that was a project that I did a couple of years ago okay. called Born to Be Global. Yeah, uh, it's uh, exploring God's roadmap for missionary kids. This was my effort to my initial effort to bridge that gap between the third culture kid writings to a biblical approach to MKs. Like this is okay. this would not be necessarily great for a kid growing up or parents teach at an international school. Sure. But this is a um, a, a Bible study. It's about a 120 page fill in the blank Bible study, uh, kind of a wilds type God nighttime booklet. Actually the yeah. wilds published this for me. Excellent. And so the funny thing about it is that I don't, I don't have any, you know, hold on this book anymore. It all belongs okay. to the wild. Okay. It's kind of a deal. Hey, okay, if you'll get it published, I'll let you have it. And so they bought <laughs> a bunch of copies and they have it in their online store. Now I, I don't know, maybe I can send you a link that we could post because sure. I don't know the link and it's not, it's it's on their online store, but you'd have to look for it a little bit or you could contact them directly, but I can also try okay. to figure out the, the direct link and send that to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that to me is a, is a major help. It, it goes through three major topics. It talks about the topic of transition and that's section one. Section two is about grief and loss. And then section three is really the ultimate one is about identity in Christ and how as a, as an MK, we, we can, you can find yourself, I, you know, basing all your identity on the fact that you're an MK. And when that MKness is not central anymore as a young adult, because you're not living on the mission field, then if you're not prepared with an awareness that you are part of a global kingdom of God that is full of people of all nations and countries, and you are, you are, you are a valued citizen in that community, then it's easy for the wheels to start to come off. And so that mm -hmm. Bible study will take the kids through that. Um, those are available. I mean, if you want, if you, if you know a church that wants to go buy 20 of them or 50 of them and give them out to every, 
every MK that comes, it wouldn't, that'd be great. I don't get any yeah. of the proceeds unashamedly <laughs> uh, promoted or whatever. But, um, you know, just thinking through that, as far as contacting me, I'm, I'm, I'm small beans, man. I'm just, just my email would be the easiest. Uh, that would be a great way. We, we have, uh, my email is, is Jones, J O N E S in Thailand, Jones, I N Thailand at gmail.com. Pretty, okay. pretty basic Jones in Thailand at Gmail. I would love, 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 love to contact anybody who has questions about MK camps. I mean, I don't know Definitely. where you are, where your listeners are, but man, as soon as we're out of this pandemic, no travel stuff, I would love to be talking to people all around this globe about putting together MK camps because yeah. really that was that was kind of what my project was, was the structure of it. But then even beyond the structure of it, which is not nearly as important, but just being there to help with the content. We're going back to Peru in a year from the, from well next next January, going back to help with their MK camp. So man, I would love to talk to anybody about that. I would love to talk to anybody about setting up, uh, you know, an MK Zoom meeting. I mean, that kind of thing, like just to get a uh, a figure, just a structure of what we do for that. I'm happy to share uh, and kind of outline. Hey, here's what the here's the four components we do. There's only two couples that are involved in it. We are not geographically in the same place. We all just sign in and tag team the 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 four events that we have every single time and. That's super cool. But yeah, I mean, my organization that I work with is Baptist World Mission out of Decatur, Alabama. And so anybody that wants to contact them and send me a couple million dollars, that'd be great. Uh, you know, <laughs> that'll definitely take some of the pressure off with my next two kids going to college. Uh, but, you know, anything between, you know, two dollars and two million, that'd be fine. Uh, but that would go to Baptist World. <laughs> Um, and please, I, I'm I'm super happy just to chit chat with folks on a on a on a you know personal basis. If anybody wants to to contact me, but man, uh, or or I keep going. Things keep coming up. This is why you oh, said yeah. brief. Very subjective. No, if yeah. anybody says, give me some give me some specific topics. Tell me the top book or two about understanding grief. Tell me the top two books about uh, you know the whole you know the, just the MK subject in general. I'm happy to create a, you know, I've got a resource kind of put together of that, of just kind of an explanation of if you're starting here, here's the book you ought to read. Or if your kid's going off to college, you know, there's a book called The Global Nomad's Guide to University Transition. That's just okay. fabulous. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, literally talk about an isolated topic. It is, it is, it is written just for TCKs going back to college. So I'd be happy to share that stuff too. But thank you so much, man. This was this was a lot of fun. I I really really enjoyed it. No, Matt, thank you for uh, taking your time to have this conversation and to share your heart and uh, be a part of this podcast. And uh, listener, I know you've been blessed by this uh, conversation with Matt and all that he shared, whether you're a missionary, whether you're a, a supporter of missionaries and uh, have sent missionaries and have missionaries in your family. This, this I hope, will give you a little bit more insight into some of the challenges that missionaries and missionary kids face. And would you do us a favor? Th can you think of five people, listener, think of five people that this 
this particular episode would bless, whether it's a missionary you know or another, uh, an MK that you know, send send this link, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or the uh, Spotify podcast, Apple, send, send this podcast to five people you know that you think it would be a blessing to. We want to get the word out and uh, we, we know that this will be encouragement as we raise awareness for some of the challenges that missionary kids specifically face. You'll better know how to pray. You'll better know how to approach the topic and to uh, cultivate those relationships uh, with with missionary kids as they face the challenges of whether it's transitioning back to the States or just in general what they face while they're on the mission field. So Matt, I appreciate so much. And uh, I know in the future, we're going to have to get back on here and and uh, we'll have more discussions about this in, in a future episode. And so I appreciate your time, Matt. Thank you so much. All right, Josh, take care. And I wish you guys all the best with your, pro- with your program there. It sounds like uh, things are really getting ready to take off for you guys. So thank you so much for letting me join you here. Thank you. God bless.